Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning, Portico. Happy Easter to you. Look at you guys. You all dress up so nice. Wow. Oh, you got real quiet on that one. So it's like, this is ordinary, Doug. We dress like this all the time. So good to have you with us today. Get your Bibles out. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 1. If you're joining us today, maybe you're visiting, we are wrapping up a series that just coincides right into Easter, and so I want to share it with you. Great, great thoughts that we're talking about, what it means to be immovable when you trust Christ. It changes everything. So we're going to get into that in a moment, but I do want to welcome you. And by the way, those of you that are joining us, Portico Online, great to have you join us today. And I also want to say a special welcome to Portico Discovery. We launched this morning. In fact, I was texting during the worship. I said, the Streetsville house is rocking. How is Discovery going? And so he's a great crowd, lots of energy. So a big hand. Let's give a big hand to our teams that are over there. And we have uh, Portico Milton is going right now and Portico Espanol. We let them start at 1140 because they'll go all day long. So we just kind of help them out a little bit. Great, great opportunity. One church, one message, many expressions. And that gives you the background on who we are. So here's a question I want to throw out as we get started today. Why should Easter be of paramount importance to you? That's a really good question to ask yourself. I mean, we're here, we're in the room. Now, first off, I understand... There's a number of reasons why we're here in the room. So some of us that we gather together today, I know I could tell by the way you're worshiping, you, you believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Yeah. I could tell. I could hear you in the room. We could feel that energy. And so you're here. This is a deeply, deeply profound day that we come together. And so we honor that. And many of us, hundreds of us have experienced what that is to give our lives to Jesus. And we know the reality of the resurrection message. It's not a myth. It is, in fact, something that's deeply and profoundly personal. But there are other people in the room, and you're on a journey of faith. So you're maybe investigating the claims and you're not sure, you know, which pathway religion's leading you down and you're curious about who Jesus is. We love that. I love the fact that you can come and sit in the room and you're welcome to ask questions and be a part of us. And when we get a little crazy in our worship, that's okay. You just kind of stand there and go, oh, well, and watch us. But always feel free to be here with us. Then there's another group of you, and I'm so sorry that I have to actually call this out in public, but you're being held hostage you went to visit mom and dad for Easter, and they said, if you want to eat our food, be in our house, you go to our church for Easter Sunday, right? You're in the room, you're online, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're not even nodding your head right now. How did you know, Doug? How did you know that's my case? Here's what I want you to do during the service. Covertly, take a connect card from the chair in front of you, write down, help me on that card, and turn that in, and we'll see what we can do to rescue you. How's that sound? Everybody good? No, the question is, why is Easter of paramount importance to you? Really, really important question. See, Paul understood this, and he would cycle back into this with his group of believers in Colossae. He never visited. He wrote them a letter because he was helping them understand the profound nature and the claims of who Jesus was. And for them, it was going to be critical that if they were going to be followers of Christ, 
They needed to know why Easter was so important. Now, we get Christmas, right? Everybody understands why we celebrate Christmas? Yeah, it's all about the gifts and the party. Yeah, we understand why. I mean, everybody loves Christmas, even with, you know, the baby in the manger and the wise men and everything that goes on with it. We love, everybody loves a party. Who doesn't like a party? We like to have cakes and celebration, and so everybody gets in. But let's be honest, some people, not all of us, but some people really struggle when it comes to Easter, Good Friday and Easter. They go, isn't it a little weird, like a little dark that you get together to celebrate somebody who died? And then to try to comprehend that maybe there was a resurrection from the dead. Now, see, for a lot of us, we have to take that statement of the resurrection through the credibility of historical witnesses. But has anybody seen anybody raised from the dead? I've presided over a lot of funerals, and nobody's got up yet. But I have preached the hope of the resurrection because of the confidence that I have in Christ. Now, why do I tell you that? Because there's always this little bit of an uneasy feeling when we talk about the resurrection of going, I really hope that's all true. Because we weren't there, were we? So Paul writes to these believers in Colossae, and he goes, listen, I know you heard the message of Jesus. I know you heard the message of the resurrection. So let me sum up all of Easter for you so that you have some credible evidence to walk with and you understand what this is really all about. So if you're into taking notes, you can download our app. There's an outline in the bulletin today. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of thoughts as we get into this. But let's go over to Colossians chapter 1 and let's see what Paul writes about. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 1. He said, I became a servant of the church when God gave me the work of telling you his entire message. So in the past... God hid this mystery, but now He has revealed it to His people. God wanted His people throughout the world to know the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, and here it comes, Christ in you, Christ living in you, giving you the hope of glory. So we spread the message about Christ as we instruct and we teach everyone with all the wisdom that there is. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. So here's Paul telling these believers, Let me explain what Easter is all about for you. Let me tell you about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and how this all fits in. And he used a word, a very interesting word. He used the word mystery. So they would get this letter, and of course, right away, that's intriguing, right? And you start to contemplate the mystery of Easter. In fact, the mystery of Easter takes me to a much higher trajectory. It takes me into the mystery of life. Have you ever wondered about the purpose of life? I mean, I know we get answers, but all of us do. Now, there was a man who lived, and scholars and historians and many people believe that he was the wisest man and probably the richest man to ever live. His name was Solomon. Yeah. If you've been tracking for a little while, you can read some of his story. And he wrote, he wrote some of his positive sides of life. He wrote some of the negative sides to his life. He's very transparent in his life. So this was a man of significant influence. I mean, world leaders traveled to hear this man, and he had great affluence. So when you think about Solomon, here's what I want you to understand. His exterior world, he had it all. He had wine, he had women, more than he needed, and he had, song, uh, he had money, wealth, right? So you got wine, women, and wealth. By the way, if you have wealth and you have too much wine and too many women, you have no wealth. You understand that, right? Okay, just track it. So just read his letter, you'll understand exactly what I'm referring to. But he was the wisest man to have ever lived. So he had all of this external appeal that all of us strive for in our human lives. We go, that's what I want to have. I want a bigger car, bigger home, bigger bank accounts. I want to have a secured future. I want the ability to choose what I want to do when I want to do it. Solomon had it. But 
there was a dissonance in the interior part of his life. Every time he put his head on the pillow, he wrestled with the meaning of life. Didn't matter what was in his wealth stores. Didn't matter how many women were available to him. Didn't matter the abundance of all that he had in his home. When he would lay his head on the pillow like we do, when he would lay down, he had to wrestle with the dissonance. And sometimes he would get lost in the ocean of finite human intelligence, trying to reconcile all that he had with this quest to know the meaning of life. And he finally reaches this place, almost in desperation at the end of his life, where he captures the essence of humanity's existence, and he does it with a single statement. And it was this, that God set eternity into the hearts of men. And he goes, and even though they can't see the scope of it from beginning to end. So let me go back for a moment. Solomon, to understand that dissonance that he was wrestling through, he summed it up this way. He goes, you'll never understand your life and the meaning of life, and you'll never connect to the message of Easter if you don't understand that it was God who created you as an eternal being, that you were framed through intelligent design and with a blueprint. And when Solomon got that, his life order begins to fall into place because we spend enormous amounts of energy and time pursuing everything on the exterior world of our lives, and we overlook the interior world. And he goes, sometimes we just can't see it because it's right there in front of us, but we can't grasp the immensity of it. Now, a number of years ago, and I'm kind of glad this era is over, but a number of years ago, there were some artists that were producing some artwork, and you would look at it, and it was like the psychedelic images, and you would, they would tell you there was a picture there. Remember those things? And you go, no, there's not. You're like, that was also the era of, you know, drugs and everything. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But, but they go, no, there's a picture in the middle of it. So actually, we thought, well, wouldn't it be good to put a picture up and let's see how we're doing today? You guys up for this? Yes. All right, have a look at the screen. Here's an image. There is a picture in the picture. It's a, not a Sony TV. It's a, there's a picture in the picture here. So I want to see if you can find the picture. And just take a couple of seconds and stare at that. This is good. Some guys are looking back and forth at both screens going, maybe if I look back and forth left and right, it's going to help me. All right, you guys ready for the reveal? All right, let's go to the reveal. All right, yeah, yeah. let's go back again. Try again. Do you see it? Neither do I. I think I'm just pulling your leg. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, go back to the reveal. Go back to the reveal. Isn't that great? All right. Enough of that. It's there, whether you see it or not. I remember going in the mall. I'd go to the mall, and I'd stand there, and I'd be looking in the mall, and they'd be have them on display. Like, you'd get poster-sized ones, and you'd stand there, and you'd be like, you know, you're, all these contortions that you'd go through, and then they'd tell you, no, no, don't look at the picture. You've got like, to, like, lose focus. And I go, yeah, I'll lose focus, like the person who put the picture together lost focus. And they go, no, no, look through the picture. I'm not Superman. Like, I can't, I don't have x-ray vision. But all of a sudden, there would be times you stand there and you go, oh, I see the picture. And then your eyes would go back to the big thing and you'd lose it again. So why did I do that? Well, just to mess your heads up and you're all going to download that picture and go, it's not there, man. I'm going back there. I'm taking him out. But the truth is, sometimes that's exactly what Solomon was talking about. We can get so focused on one aspect of our life that we lose the grandeur of what God is doing in the big picture. 
And he said, we don't even recognize that eternity is that very pulse that's inside of us when we're lonely, we're desperate, we're in the middle of anxiety, we're frustrated, we're confused, that that call of our heart, that there's something greater is the call of eternity where God's going, do you understand? I put that seed in your heart. And Paul says to these Colossian believers, if you begin to understand what Easter is all about, it's going to bring the mystery of this all together in such a simple way. So taking notes, write this down. Paul first talks about the mystery of God's plan. He said there's a a mystery to the whole purpose of what God was doing, and he puts his plan in motion. And when you begin to see his plan, you begin to understand what God was doing. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul said it this way. He said, in the past, God hid this mystery... But now he has revealed it to the people. Now I stopped there because I went, is, he playing tr- is God playing tricks on humanity? Because in the past, God hid the mystery, and now he's revealed it to the people. And I thought, boy, that'd be a cruel joke, kind of like the picture I just put up on the screen for you guys. I, is that what God was doing? How many of you know there's a difference between a mystery and a secret? You're, now you're not even willing to work with me. Yeah, we're done. Let's just go. Who's having lunch at your house today? Let me see your hand. Nobody? Okay, I'm over. Let's go. There's a difference between mystery and a secret. See, humanity is great with secrets. We love, we build covert operations. I love born identity. I love Mission Impossible. All that stuff's all about secrets, isn't it? Secret identities, uh, secret operations, covert operations. We love secrets. In fact, we love secrets so much that when somebody, how many of you can keep a secret? Okay, I'm going to tell you one right now. No, I'm not, because you're going you're gonna, to immediately, as soon as I say, if I tell you a secret, you're thinking about, who can I tell the secret to? <laughs> and you know what we do with that? Who's my prayer partner? And we go, I have something really, really confidential to share it with you. Now, promise you're not going to tell anybody. You've never heard those words, have you? <laughs> yes, we have. We're terrible with secrets. We build religion around secrets. We build empires around secrets. We build societies. We build gangs around secrets. We don't reveal the information. You have to become one of the exclusive insiders in order to understand and gain access to the secrets. And so we build this whole structure around secrets. Paul didn't say God built this around secrets. He said he built it around a mystery. And he said this mystery is being revealed. In other words, he said if you understand from the beginning to the end, God was taking and very carefully unfolding the mystery of his plan. What was the mystery of his plan? That when humanity broke relationship with God and we sinned, and we all know this, we know that that brokenness or the dissonance, call it whatever you want, it's sin in our lives, that when that was broken, that God set into motion a plan to bring it all back together. But the revealing of the fullness of the plan would be at a specific time. And so the mystery was beginning to be unfolded. And so he reaches into the Garden of Eden and he says, there is a time coming when the serpent will strike the heel, but you're going to be crushed by the foot of the victor. Then he starts to speak to his people Israel and he raises up a nation of people. And everybody goes, so what's the deal with Israel? Like, are they some kind of preferred, preferential treatment group that God raised up? No. No, God raised up a people with a promise who would then proclaim the promise to the world. That was Isaiah 49. God was very clear about this. He said, I made you to be a light to the nations of the world, to the Gentiles, so that salvation would be taken to the ends of the earth. In other words, God says, I will raise up a group of people to reveal the mystery of my plan, and those people will demonstrate. But over and over and over, Israel continually failed on the purpose that God had raised them up. So what does God do? God raises up sages and prophets, voices from the past, 
And they begin to project and they say, whoa, look, Bethlehem, I see something coming out of you. Hey, Galilee, there's coming one from the north. And he, they begin to share little insights and little tidbits of something that's coming that God's getting ready to do a surprise. How many like surprise parties? Surprise parties are great, aren't they? Particularly birthday parties. You try to get everybody to arrive early. Because there's no sense surprising the person after he's already there or she's already there, right? But you get everybody in the same room together. You try to get everybody or don't park on the same street. You've been to one of those? Oh, good. All right. I just want to make sure. I wasn't the only guy. So you get everybody to come early. You get them to park their car out of the way so nobody can, you know, tip off the big surprise. Then you get in the house and they're watching, they're watching, they're watching for the person to come. And then when it's almost time, what do you do? No, no, no. You turn the lights off first. That's coming. That's coming. I like that, though. So then you turn all the lights off, and you tell everybody, shh. Remember this? You go, where are you going? God had everybody going in the Old Testament, and for 400 years, he went, shh. Wait for it. And then when it's time, you turn the lights on, and then what do you yell? Thank you. Surprise. <laughs> and there's always one who shows it out early. And everybody wants to beat them up because then you ruin it because you got all these people that are there. And God says, surprise, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, at just the right time, Jesus would come to be born of a woman. Christmas was never about consumerism and exchanging gifts for us so that we all feel good and we could have Christmas lights. You know that, right? This was God's surprise party. And he goes, surprise, it's the time. The angels came and made the greatest proclamation. This was the mystery of God's plan. And Paul writes to these Colossian believers and he goes, listen, if you want to understand, trusting Christ changes everything. It changes your eternity. And when you start putting all the pieces together, you realize God had a plan, God has a plan, and he will fulfill this plan. And he's never missed a beat. That's why I love it when we come together on Easter Sunday because when we start singing, he is risen, I go, I know he is because God's never skipped a beat and he's not going to miss one. But then there's the mystery of Christ's death. That one got me thinking. So if Paul writes to them and he says, you know, there's this mystery of the plan of God. Well, then he moves across and he talks about the mystery of Christ's death. Now, a couple of days ago, that was great. Thank you, by the way. We had so many people for Good Friday and uh, we were in overflow. Just a great, great experience. But we gather together and you know what we do on Good Friday. We commemorate the life and the death of Jesus. But we often do this from our human perspective, through human emotion. So we approach the injustice, we approach the torture, the the brutal humiliation of Jesus, everything that transpired. We do it from our human perspective. And I watch as we gather together, and I know for a lot of us what happens is we read into the story our feelings into what Jesus is experiencing. But I got thinking as I was preparing for today, have we ever considered the story the mystery of Christ's death from a different vantage point. Now, track with me. What was it like for, from heaven's perspective to watch Good Friday? You go, what do you mean, Doug? Well, we're, we're all with the people down on the ground. We get the Romans, we get the Jewish leaders, we get the revolt and the rebellion and the uprising. We get the anger and the mobs, the tears, the desperation. But what was it like For those, from heaven's perspective, we never think about that, do we? 
What was it like for God the Father to watch His Son being brutalized, nailed to a cross, and in that moment, everything in a father's heart is screaming, I just want to rescue my boy. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. You see your child in pain. You see your child in any kind of difficulty. You want to race into that situation and you want to rescue them if it's at all possible and within your power to do it. And yet the father knew that his son had said, Dad, if you can take the cup away, take it away, but not my will, your will be done. And the father knew that if I do this, then I blow it for all humanity and I can't take that risk. This is the plan. This is the moment. This is the rescue where humanity finds its greatest redemption through the sinless Lamb of God. And so the Father's going, no. And his heart is breaking. This is the heart of a God that understood that for you and for me, the paramount importance of Easter rested upon his Son fulfilling his calling, his divine calling in that moment. And we will never comprehend that. Then I got thinking about the Holy Spirit. You ever think about this? Because you know the Holy Spirit's alive and real, right? So there's a little moment. Let me go across here. There's a little moment. And those of you, if you're new to the Bible, I'll give you the story. When Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed and arrested, he went into the garden setting. And when he was in the garden, it says that the the mob that was coming to take him, they came in search of him. and And Jesus said to them, who are you looking for? And they responded, Jesus of? Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus makes a simple but profound declaration. He said, I am He. Now what we miss, and it's not in every gospel, so you got to read it carefully. What we miss is the moment that He made the divine declaration, I am. It says that all those in the garden, down to the ground. I love that. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am. Boom. Humanity cannot stand in the face of divinity. You understand that? Every knee is going to bow. And he says, I am, and they were down. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He can move mountains, and he can move hearts, and he can move bodies. You know this. So go back to heaven's vantage point. What was the Holy Spirit contemplating as those nails were being driven into the hands of the Son of God, one of that perfect triune expression. What was he thinking? If I can take a few guards out in the garden, it'd be nothing to wipe out everybody at the cross. To unleash unleash the force of the Spirit in that moment would be nothing for him. And yet restraint, because he knew what needed to be done. And then there's one last one. Now, maybe this was caffeine, but I got thinking about the angels. Because the angels are there, right? So they showed up at the birth, and they were there saying, you know, hallelujah, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, good news to those in whom his favor rests, right, and all mankind. So the angels are there. So I got thinking about what's the vantage point of heaven on Good Friday when Michael the archangel, the mighty warrior angel in heaven, is watching with the rest of the heavenly hosts, and they knew one word is all it took. Because when Jesus was being tempted, all he needed to say is, now, 
and they would have rescued him in that moment. They knew that an entire legion of angels could be released in that moment. And Michael, the warrior angel, is there probably talking to Gabriel. You got to go to Mary. I'm going in on a rescue mission right now. And they are bent and ready to go. See, we don't think about heaven's vantage point. And the mystery of Christ's death, we stop at humanity's emotional expression of it. But all of heaven is waiting to go. And the Father's going, wait, wait, nobody move. Nobody move. Because in this moment, sin is being defeated. In this moment, the power of sin is being broken. In this moment, the enemy is being defeated. Nobody moves because Sunday is coming. And the Father restrains the forces of heaven who could have changed the course of history. Why? Because the mystery of death is this. And Paul said it this way to the Colossian believers. He said, because Christ is now in you. He said, Christ is now in you. And you're going, Doug, what? This is like really weird. No, Paul explains that the Bible is very clear about this. Because Jesus Christ died for my sins, I now have the Spirit of God living in me when I accept his gift by faith. So those of you that are followers of Jesus Christ, Easter is not a ritual expression. It is a powerful declaration of paramount importance. Christ in me, the hope, the hope of glory. Isn't that great? This is what Paul was trying to get across. So if you understand the plan and you understand the death, it all starts to weave together and then you get right into the last one. He goes, there's this mystery of hope. There's this mystery called hope. Now, Paul said to them, he goes, you know, that Christ is now living in you. And you go, okay, my sins are forgiven. That, that brokenness, that misunderstanding, all the things I couldn't really figure out, I recognize that that was my human disobedience and God has restored me, given me a brand new spirit. There's so much here. We'll just try to summarize it for you. But he says, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things are gone. All things have been made new. So he goes, when you begin to trust in Jesus and you accept his gift as the Son of God that he willingly was willing to go to the cross on Friday, endure through Sunday, raised by the power of God. He goes, when you by faith believe in that and you confess that with your mouth, he goes, the Spirit takes up residence in your heart. He makes old things new and you have a brand new spirit in you. And here's the best part. The mystery of hope, it's not just that things get better for now, this temporal life. He goes, the hope of, what was the word? Glory. Glory. Or maybe just change the word, the hope of eternity. Friends, trusting Christ changes everything, and it changes what I believe about eternity. Because when we really truly begin to understand, then the pain and the pressure and the difficulties of life that we go through, we don't measure them based upon a short time frame. We start to do what Solomon said. We look at the full scope of God's picture from beginning to end, and we start to understand that the hope of glory is this, that even if I go through these temporary trials, that God has got me covered, and I'm going to come out on the other side, and death no longer defeats me. Am I going to die? Well, if Jesus tarries, yes, I am. Does that bother me? No. Every time I go to a funeral, I go, huh, another seed. Just to be resurrected. Going to be a brand new body. And it's going to be a great day. How many would like a new body anyhow? Oh, buddy, would I ever love that. I just was out bike riding, motorbike riding a couple of weeks ago. Every time I swung my leg over the back of the bike, I was like, yeah, I could use a new body. But this hope of glory, 
that Paul writes to these Colossian believers about. Why did he write to them? He understood that they were being persecuted. They were in a place where it was so polytheistic and all of this influence was pressuring them on their faith that they wanted to cave in. And he goes, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't get sucked into the temporal and don't get sucked into the spiritual powers of darkness. Hold your ground. Christ is your solid rock. He is in you and he is the hope of glory. And where is the hope in this? He goes, here's what your hope is. Your hope is that he has given you brand new life. Your hope is that he's forgiven your sins. Your hope is that he has adopted you into his family. You're now brothers and sisters of Christ. And your hope is that you get to share it. And this blows my mind. We get to share God's glory because of Christ. See, there's none none of us. Nobody can comprehend that because we don't deserve any of it. And he goes, but because of Jesus. The Father says, because of Jesus. He goes, don't measure your life based on your temporal. Look at the eternal because trusting Christ changes everything. Now, Paul did say to the Corinthian believers, he said, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, he said, then your faith is useless. And he goes, and if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then he goes, we are to be pitied more than anybody else in the face of the earth. What was he saying? If you're using religion as a crutch and Christ was never raised from the dead, He goes, then it's a miserable way to live. Friend, if you're leaning on religion today and you're hoping that just, you know, somehow religion's going to get you through this life, that's really what Paul's talking about. He said, all of us should be pitied of more than others. He goes, but when you understand the mystery, that it was God's plan that Jesus would die, that you would have hope so that when you leave today and every day you get out of your bed, you go, I am an eternal being. I have eternity in my heart, and I will go through this life, but I do so with confidence. And what did Paul write to the Corinthian believers? He goes, just in case you don't understand it, over in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, the scriptures say Jesus was raised from the dead. But in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, and he appeared first to Cephas or to Peter, then he appeared to the 12, and then he appeared to 500 men and women. Why would Paul write that? He was given evidentiary truth so that they would know, not just on recorded history, but eyewitness accounts that Jesus, in fact, had been raised from the dead because he goes, your hope isn't wishful thinking. Your hope isn't a secret. Your hope is enveloped in a mystery which has now been revealed in Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the hope, and that's why Easter should be of paramount importance to all of us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, what an amazing opportunity you've given to us to experience the forgiveness of sins, to experience life in our bodies, and hope for our future. So as we gather on this Easter Sunday and we declare that He is risen, we do so with a deep resolve and conviction that we want the world to know the truth. Those of us that have trusted and confessed Christ to be our Lord, Father, give us the courage and the boldness to just declare the wonder of Your works and to reveal the mystery of Your plan so that everybody would know why Easter is of paramount importance because every day is Easter for us. And that's how we choose to live. But I pray for those that maybe are curious about faith or they're just seeking for truth. They might even be seated with us in this room or listening online or in our overflow today. Holy Spirit, just like you prompted my heart to respond to your truth, would you do the same for them? Your eyes are closed. Everyone just respecting this moment. And if you're in the room and you would say, you know, Doug, I've never really trusted Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I've heard a lot about him. I've investigated a lot of religion. 
But I'm beginning to understand it's all about relationship, and God has made it possible for me to have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, his son, his death, his resurrection, and now I have the option. Trusting Christ changes everything, but it's always a personal choice. Nobody can force this on you. And if you're in the room listening to me, here's what I want you to do. Well, everybody else is just praying. If you want to trust Jesus today, say yes to him. Would you quickly raise your hand? I just want to pray with you before we go. So all across the room, raise your hand real quick, and you can take it right back down again. And I'll just, yes, thank you. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? You're just saying, I'm saying yes to Jesus today for the first time. Thank you, Father. Lord, you see the hands gone up in this room, and you know in the other rooms and online, the hearts of the people. We know it's not in the physical gesture. It's just a moment for us to make a connection here. But for men and women and young people that are saying yes to you today, thank you that in that moment where we profess faith in Christ, a mystery happens. The old is gone. The new has come. Thank you for making them new men and new women, new creations in Christ. May they have the joy, the confirmation, and that witness of the Spirit in their heart. And we pray it in Christ's name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen.